You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Guys, first of all, I have to say, I am super excited. <laughs> it, I, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and it is so much fun to be in this space worshiping with you. And as, as Nick said in the very beginning, who would have thought we'd be in here this morning, right? Some of you, as you see those pictures, but uh, praise God for it. Um, praise God that he works in, in awesome ways, and there's been so many people that have, or I, w- I won't say everything Stan just said, but thank you. Um, this morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking in Genesis, in the book of Genesis, and we're looking at Genesis chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me, and if you don't have a Bible, I would love to put one in your hand. So we have, we have Bibles out there in the, in the lobby, foyer, set. I don't know, it's new, we don't know what we're calling it yet, uh, but in that space that's not in this room, where it says info, there's, there's Bibles in there, we would love to give you one if you don't have one. Um, because this is what we do here at Anthem Church. We, we, we walk through, typically, sometimes we do topical, but, but most always, if you come to church here, we're looking at one book of the Bible, and we're walking through that book, and, and each week we're coming together asking the question, okay, God, what do, you have, what do you have to show us through your word? Because we love the Bible. That's where, we, that's where we get our authority from. That's where we see God work and move, and we hear his voice through his word. And so this morning, as we look at Genesis, Stan, um, he started this series last week, and what we're titling this series is Introducing God. And as we look at Genesis chapter 2, it's in the very beginning of your Bible. Again, if you're new to church and you're flipping through, don't go very far because you'll miss it. All right? It's in the very beginning of your Bible. But as I've been studying this passage out and as I keep getting more and more excited about what I get to, what I get to present to you this morning, when I look at Genesis chapter 2, the thing that I see over and over and over again, especially as we think of this, this whole series walking through the book of Genesis as the introduction of God, The thing that I've seen over and over and over again is that God is good. God is is good. It's almost like God is, in the very beginning of his word, which is about him, the Bible is about him. I know some of you are like, well, yeah, that should go without saying. But it doesn't because oftentimes we approach the Bible with a me-centered mentality, don't we? We, we, we look at things like genealogies, and we're like, well, why is that even in there? What's that have to do with me? Well, it's not about you, right? And um, welcome to church. Everything's not about you, all right? So that's, that was free, all right? But, but what we see this morning as we look at God's word, it's like God is showing up saying, hey, how's it going? I'm God, and I want you to know that I'm good. Last week, Stan started us off in Genesis talking about God as creator God, God as, as the ultimate authority, God as, God as creator. And when we look at God through his creation and when we understand who God is through his creation, it puts, it puts our lives in a better context. And this morning, I believe that when we look at God, not only as the supreme creator, but as the supreme good, it puts our lives in context. And I think this is a relevant message for us this morning in the cultural context that we find ourselves in, because oftentimes in our world, when bad things happen, what do people ask every time? Huh? If God were good, then what? 
Why do bad things happen? If God were good, I mean, the Parkland shooting, the anniversary of that was just this past week. And so many times what we hear is, if God were good, then why? Why did my friend get shot? If God were good, then, then why, why am I sick? If God were good, then why, why are my kids sick? If God were good, then why did I lose my job? If God were good, why, why, why? And, and the thing that we always pull into question is God's goodness. And this morning, what I want us to see from the very beginning of God's story is that God is good. And when we understand his goodness and when we see our lives through that lens, we can live secure in the reality of a good God. Let's, let's start Genesis chapter 2. Chapter 2, we're starting in verse 4. It says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Stop there. I promise we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to go, but I want us to understand what's happening in the very beginning of this, of this passage. We see, we see it says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Over and over again, what you'll see the author doing throughout the book of Genesis, he uses this terminology, these are the generations, to kind of show that, all right, we're starting something new here. We're entering into new territory. This is a new thought. We're going into to, to something new. And, and what we see here is that he's, he's going from this big picture, God creating, to this like universal to personal. And we see that transition primarily in this first verse, in verse 4, through the name that's used to define who God is. Now, up to this point, chapter 1, again, Stan, last week, if, if you weren't here, go online, listen to it. It's, uh, he did a great job of just showing what it looks like to look at God as creator. But what we see in chapter 1 is over and over again, we see God did stuff. God, God created. God spoke. God rested. God, etc., etc., etc. And that name for God in chapter 1, is, it's, it's the ultimate deity, the ultimate God, the ultimate creator, the ultimate authority. That's that, that name, God, that's used in chapter 1. And yet in verse 4 here, we see that there is a new name for God that we're introduced to. It says, the Lord God. And throughout this passage, the Lord God is used over 11 times. And what we see, why that's important, is because the Lord, in, in Hebrew, it's, it's Jehovah. And, and in Hebrew, that is, that is the proper name for God, Jehovah. It's the personal name for God, Jehovah. And when you take the personal name for God and you pair it with the ultimate name for God, the ultimate deity, ultimate creator, ultimate authority, and you pair that with the personal God, you, have, you, you don't take away God's, God's ultimate authority, but you pair it with his, his personhood. You pair it with the reality that God here, as we see this transitioning, we see a God who desires to get his hands dirty with mankind that he's about ready to create. It reminds me, of, like, my wife, her name is Albertine. And some of you are like, yeah, that's a weird name. She agrees it's a weird name. But, but I get to call her Albertine, and, like, nobody else calls her Albertine. Like, I, not even her mom. I don't know why. But uh, nobody calls her Albertine. So if you call her Albertine, that would be weird. So just let you know. Her name for you is Allie. Okay, it's just, that's just the way it is. Don't, not Bert, that's bad. Don't, <laughs> bad news bears if you try and get on my wife's kid size and, side and do that. No, but her name is Albertine, and to me, when I call her Albertine, that means, that, that, that shows my personal relationship with her. That's what we see as we see the Lord God. From the very beginning of Genesis, we see a God who wants to be personal, showing his goodness to us. Let's, let's go on to verse 5. 
when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Now, again, what I want us to understand, first and foremost, is that this isn't meant to, to give us a chronological picture of creation. We are to read Genesis 2 in light of Genesis 1 through the context, through the lens of Genesis 1. This isn't meant to try and figure out, well, how did all these things work together? No, this is meant to show us that something different is happening here. God is going from universal, uh, let there be light, let there be a whale, let there be, you know, I don't know, let there be water, like all these things, and they're just boom, boom, boom happening, and then it goes from universal to personal, and that's what we're supposed to see here, and we're supposed to see the fact that God has a plan for man within his creation. We're, we're, we're given this personal understanding of God, especially when we see that God formed. Man, that word formed, it, it literally it explains or describes like a, a potter making something on a wheel. Now, I've never done that before, but I've made, I've made something out of Play-Doh, right? You guys done that? Maybe some, it's been a long time, right? And, you, you know, you get your hands dirty and you get the stuff in your fingernails and, and it gets in the carpet. Something, and, I mean, it's just like it's, it's messy and you get your hands in there. And that's what God is doing when he forms man. He doesn't just speak. He gets his hands in there and he forms and then it says he breathes into him the breath of life. And that, that word breath, that breathe, it's the spirit of God. God puts his spirit into man that he has just formed with his hands. And we see man having life because God gave life to him. And we get to see man in his original environment, in his original state. A, a good God creating, creating man, getting his hands dirty, giving life into him. Let's read on. Verse 8, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man who he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's stop there. What did I say that we were, we were seeing God as this morning? God is what? Good, right, I like interaction. We see God is good, and, and not only do we see his goodness through his, his, his personhood as he's giving Adam his, his personal name, but we see him being good in the fact that he creates a place for Adam. Do you see that? He creates a place as he forms Adam and he puts him in this place. In Eden, it, I, I think it's interesting. I was listening to a pastor this past week, and we, we always think of like the garden was Eden, but it says he made a garden in Eden. Eden uh, translated as like this, this pleasant place or paradise. And within paradise, he makes a better place. He, and, and it says that he created, he made the ground, uh, sprout up out of the ground, every tree that is pleasing to the eye. The first thing that we see here is God's good in, in letting Adam just be in awe of his creation. Like going out to, the, I, I love being in the mountains and being able to just be in awe of what God has created. My wife, she would choose the beach. And, but either way, right, either way, it's not right or wrong. Either way, we look at it and we get to see, man, God is good. Man, God is big. 
And not only does he create things that are just pleasing to the eye, but they're good for food. They taste good. God didn't have to do that. Do you realize that? God didn't have to make things taste good. He could have made everything like oatmeal. I hate oatmeal. I've got a story. I won't share it right now, but I hate oatmeal. He could have made everything like oatmeal, but he didn't. God shows his goodness to Adam by creating this place for him to thrive, and it says that he put Adam in that place, lovingly, gingerly, put him, put him in that place. It's almost like the, this idea of like, like presenting a sacrifice, like there's intentionality. He shows his goodness by giving him a place, and it says there are two trees in the garden. The, first, the tree of life, and, and I'm not going to go into deep detail on these trees because they're going to come up later on, but we, but we see that he gives Adam what he needs to thrive in that place. He shows him his goodness. Verse 10, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon, it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon, it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now, if you were listening to me say all those names, and you're like, oh, I didn't know that's how you said that name. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's how you'd say those names. But the, but the purpose of this place is to show this isn't just some, like, parable. This isn't just some fantasy. This is a place that had a real location, that had real physical attributes to it. And, and a lot of people have gotten, gotten sidetracked on this verse by saying, well, if we, we know where the Euphrates is, we know where the Tigris is, we know where these rivers are, and so if we, if we navigate and all these different things, we'll find the Garden of Eden. No, between, like, between what we're reading and now, there was a big flood that kind of jacked everything up, okay? So don't, don't read this and be like, oh, if I just find that tree of life, everything. No, that's not what he's saying. What we see here is this is an actual place. And God was intentional when he made it, showing himself to be good to his creation. Let's read on, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work. Work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. All right, there's a couple things that I want to point out here that I want to talk about. The first one is that not only do we see God's goodness being introduced to us through, through his personal name, not only do we see his, his goodness introduced to us through his, the place that he created for Adam, but we see his goodness introduced to us through the fact that he gives Adam purpose in the midst of the place. There's a lot of P words this morning. You picking up on that? That was another one. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was funny. But he... He gives them a place and he gives them a purpose. I think lots of times we think of the Garden of Eden like a resort in Mexico. I, I remember I, I, got to, I got to go to a resort with my wife here. It's been a few years ago. And, and we showed up and it was beautiful. And I mean, the, the plants, I mean, it just everything was incredibly beautiful. But you know what wouldn't have been so beautiful if we showed up and as they gave us our room key, they also gave us the gardening tools. Like, here's your room and here's your rake. It's like, whoa. What am I going to do with this? I'm in Eden, right? I, I'm not here to work. But what we see here is that God's goodness is displayed in the fact that we were creating the image of a God who is hard at work. And for us as people, as individuals, that, that still hasn't changed. We were meant to be people of purpose. Um, there's, a, 
I have it up on the screen, Psychology Today, there was this article that, that says this, the need for purpose is one of the defining characteristics of human beings. Human beings crave purpose and suffer serious psychological difficulties when we don't have it. Purpose is a fundamental, fundamental component of a fulfilling life. Do you see that? That's psychology today. That's not like Christianity today. That's psychology today. And what they are saying is they are saying we need purpose. We were created for purpose. And yet oftentimes we see work. Now, now let, me, let me clarify. Work today is a little bit different than work then. But I believe that, that hard work is good work. Andrew, right? Good work is hard work. We, we, we are meant to be people who are hard at work. And when we don't have those purposes, when we don't have that purpose, we seek for it and we long for it because it's, it's, it is God-given within us. We are meant to be involved in the creation of God. I, I think oftentimes we think of just work as being part of the fall. Like I remember when I was a kid and my dad would wake me up early on a Saturday morning, which Saturday mornings, we all know, if you're from my generation, we all know Saturday mornings were meant for cartoons. Nothing else. My dad didn't know that. Unfortunately, he would wake me up early on a Saturday morning. Can you imagine? I've gone through counseling. I'm going to be fine. But he woke me up early on a Saturday morning, almost every Saturday morning, and he'd be like, all right, let's go work. And we'd go out to the, I lived in a salvage yard, basically. Like, yeah, it's true. I lived in the salvage yard, and it's like, all right, let's, let's get to work. And every morning, I'd be like, oh, my life. This is Adam. Curse you, Right? Work is a result of the fall, but it's not. We, we think that the, the ultimate would just be vegging out and, and, and just like binge-watching Netflix all day long. But you know what happens when we do that? Have you ever done that and you get done with, with a, a series that you just watched in, in an ungodly short amount of time? And then you realize like, wow, I feel terrible. Have you ever done that? I think it just goes to show what, what, uh, what, uh, what was it I just had up there? Psychology Today is telling us. We aren't meant just for comfort. We aren't meant to just pick the easy way. So, some of you, I believe, in here, we've, we've spent too much time skirting responsibilities, trying to go about life the easy way, and yet an old parable, Todd says this a lot, I love it, the empty cart rattles loudest. When we don't have responsibility, we don't have fulfillment in life. We are meant for more than comfort. And that's what we see as God saying, look, I am good, and so I'm giving you purpose in the midst of this place that I've created for you. He goes on in verse 18. Or, excuse me, the warning that goes with that. Yeah, we don't want to skip over that. There's a warning, right? He says, in the midst of this garden, there's a tree there's a tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil, but if you eat of it, on that day you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, the question is, we can't skip too far past that. Lots of times we look at this, and I don't want to preach the next message, but that's, this is coming. What I want to say is that, that God isn't just sadistic by putting this tree in the middle of the garden and saying, don't eat of it. Right? It's not, it's not like, again, it's not like there's this beautiful tree in the middle of the garden and everything else is like oatmeal or kale. Right? <laughs> It's not like that. Like, like everybody's eating kale chips and just looking at the tree. Like, oh, this is terrible. I want that. That's not, that's not what happened. 
Every tree was pleasing to the eye and good for food. Every tree. And yet God says, but this tree, don't eat of this tree because when you do, you'll die. It would be like me saying to my kids, don't go play out in the street out there. Don't go play out on Paris Road because if you do that, you'll die. It's a warning saying, saying don't, don't choose, choose my authority. Choose what I have set up for you. Choose relationship with me. I, wanna be, I want relationship with you. Choose relationship with me. He goes on in verse 18. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Let's stop there, all right? The first time in all of Scripture that we see something's not good. First time. In chapter 1, everything's good. God speaks light, it's good. Land, it's good. Sun, it's good. All of these things, man, is very good. All these different things, it's good, it's good, it's good. I like to, I have an overactive imagination. And in my mind, I'm like, what was Adam doing that God's like, this is not good? (laughs) Holy Spirit, Jesus, this isn't good. We got to get this guy a wife. It's the first time, the first time that we see, he's saying, this is not good. And so he says, we will make a helper suitable for him, fit for him. And I think lots of times when, when we read this, oftentimes, gals, can we just be honest? I think lots of times people read this like, oh, I don't like that terminology. The, the, the Bible would say, I'm a helper? That doesn't seem right. But at the same time, what I want us to realize is that does not take away from the value of the woman that God is about to create. We see in chapter 1 that God created the male and female. In his image, he created them. And so we see men and women are of equal value. Amen? Equal value. If you don't believe that, you're wrong, flat out wrong. But when we read the word helper, that doesn't take away from the value. In fact, it is a, it's, a, it's a term that's used for God over and over in Scripture. One of those places, I have it up on the screen, Psalm 46.1. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God is our help. And, and again, in John 14, 16, when Jesus has come on the scene and he's, he's died, he's, been, uh, he's getting ready to die, he's getting ready to go up into heaven, he says this about the Holy Spirit and himself. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. See, this, this term doesn't take away from value. I mean, think about it. If, if I, like, I redid my basement a long time ago, got a lot of sermon illustrations out of that, which is awesome. But I remember when, when I was redoing my basement, there was a place where I just kept staring at it because I couldn't figure out how I was going to fix it. Like, there was a soffit. I had to get, I had to get uh, you know, sheetrock around it, and I would just stare at it because <laughs> I didn't know what to do. Like, I'd go down and work in my basement, and I'd just be like, oh, man, that's overwhelming. And I just stand there. And then Stan, I was like, Stan, can you help me do this? And he comes in. And he's like, well, this is what you do. Done. I was like, well, oh, I could have done that like weeks ago or what? Does Stan have less value in the, in the finishing of my basement because he was my helper? No, he doesn't have less value. He may have a different role, right? See, and that's what we see in Scripture. We see men and women of equal value, but they are distinct in their purpose and roles. And so we see God saying, it is not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper. He has a plan in, in place 
for this. So let's read on. Verse 19. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Now, stop there. Like, isn't that, isn't that interesting? Isn't that peculiar that what we read in, in one passage right before this, we read God is saying, it's not good for man to be alone. I got a plan. I'm going to make a helper suitable, suitable for him. The next passage we read, God gives him a job. It's like, wh- why, why did he do that? But if you play this out again in my overactive imagination, think about how this could have played out. Think about this. God, the creator God, the ultimate authority, the ultimate deity who who speaks and things come into creation. He makes all these animals, and then he brings Adam along, and he's like, hey, Adam, hey, but I got a job for you. Oh, do you, God? Yeah, I got a job for you, Adam. You see all these animals I've named? They need names, don't they, Adam? Well, yeah, God, I guess they do. Guess what, Adam? You get to name these animals. Oh, really? Yeah, you get to name these animals, buddy. Okay, okay. And God brings all the animals in front of Adam. And, and just think about the first one. Adam, what about this one? What do you think this should be called? Oh, I, don't, I don't know, God. Uh, hip, hip, hippopotamus? <laughs> yeah, Adam, hippopotamus, that's great. That's a great name. That's a hippopotamus. Oh, what about this one? Oh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, cow? Yeah, cow, oh man, and everyone, what, what about this one? And I just think about God's, God's, just his excitement growing, his anticipation growing as, as he brings each animal before Adam. What about this one, giraffe? Yeah, giraffe, that's a great one. And yet he, he's just standing back, and as Adam sees each animal, and it's like, well, hippopotamus, we don't really fit together. And giraffe, I mean, I don't know how that would work. And, I, you know, all, all these different things. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but it gets to the end of it, and he realizes what God has already proclaimed. Isn't that interesting? God parades all these animals before Adam, and he's just standing back. And as, as Adam's just realizing that each one of these animals, they don't fit him. They're not for him. God, I believe, is just standing back, just delighting. Because, first of all, that would be sadistic if God didn't already have a plan, Right? That would be messed up for God to parade every animal in front of him. It's like, see, Adam, that, that animal, that doesn't suit you. That animal, that doesn't fit with you. That would be sadistic unless God had a plan, unless God wanted Adam to see that he is good. Amen? And so we see what happens after this. We see that, that God makes Adam fall into a deep sleep. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up, its, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You guys, what I believe that I see out of this is that God delights in meeting the needs of his people. God delights in us seeing that he is good. 
and that he provides. Amen? He is good, and, and we see he puts Adam to sleep, and I, just, I can just imagine as a dad, I can just imagine God just being like, oh, this is going to be so good. This is going to be, you know, and he's sleeping. He takes the rib, and he's like, oh, man, this is going to be, she's so beautiful. And, and when Adam wakes up, we get to see the first wedding ever. The, the Bible starts with a wedding, and it ends with a wedding. We see God as the father figure marching his, his, Adam's new bride that God just made down the aisle. And, and Adam just saw all the animals, and none of them fit for him. Then he takes a nap, and he wakes up. And we see the first words that come out of man's, like recorded, that come out of man's mouth is a song. That's what that is. It's a song. It's a poem. It's not grunting like, like it's, he's like, oh, like, oh, woman. Like he breaks out in a song because he's so excited because God has, God has shown him his goodness, not only by giving him a place, not only by giving him a purpose, but by giving him a person to come alongside him and, and engage in the mission of God with him. Isn't that beautiful? This is why I keep getting excited because I believe it's the same thing today. That God has given us people to come alongside us. And, and especially what we see in this passage, we have been given wives and husbands to come alongside us to, to engage in the work of God. And, and I believe, I, I want to just spend just a few moments here because this passage is the most, most quoted passage in the New Testament. It's the most quoted passage from the Old Testament quoted in the New, New Testament. Paul talks about when he's talking about the differences between men and women, uh, Jesus talks about this passage when he's talking about the importance of marriage. And in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 5, we have it up on the screen. Jesus says, he answered, that's Jesus, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. See, he's answering his critics who are, who are saying, well, can we get divorced for this or divorced for that? And he's saying, oh, haven't you guys read? And he talks about the importance of marriage, and he's, he's highlighting the goodness of God by giving us each other to, to live with and engage in the mission with. But I think the thing that we need to understand, and I think it's important, especially for our cultural context, is that not only did Jesus quote from chapter 2, but he also quoted from chapter 1 as he's talking about the importance of marriage. 1 verse 27 is where Jesus quotes, he says, from the beginning made them male and female. That's, that's 127. You see, marriage, marriage is not just an agreement between two consenting adults. Marriage is meant to be, in, in, the, in the book Sexual Ethics, the author says this, for Christianity, marriage is a lifelong covenant between two sexually different but equal persons. I think it's important for us to understand what marriage is meant to be. We have been given each other. But, but living outside of that, that's not what God intended. Okay, living outside of that is not, is not seeing God for who he is. It's not, it's not seeing God for the goodness that he created. And yet, oftentimes, like, we, we look at it and say, well, look at this passage and say, well, God is good, so does that mean I only get to experience God's goodness after I'm married, you single people, right? Oftentimes, that's the message that's given to us by the church. 
We have, we have kids ministry. We have uh, parent ministry. We have marriage 101, right? But we have, oftentimes we have single ministry, singles ministry, and that's just code word for, like, speed dating, right? Let's be honest. Let's get these single people together so they can experience God's goodness. See, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm being sarcastic, right? Because it doesn't just start with, with your bride or your husband. Because we have more of the Bible. We see in the New Testament that we see the bride of Christ, the church, comes on the scene. Not only does God reveal his goodness to Adam through his bride, which praise God for, because it is not good for man to be alone. Amen, guys? (laughs) Some of you, that needed to be louder. It is not good for man to be alone, but it's also not good for us as individuals to be alone. You see, we were not created to live this Christian life alone. We were not created to live this Christian life as as Lone Ranger Christians. I mean, I remember back in college, there was a band called the Lone Rangers, which I was like, that is stupid, right? Because the Lone Ranger can't be plural. It's no longer lone, right? It's just rangers. Even the Lone Ranger, I was thinking about it, even the Lone Ranger wasn't alone. He had Tonto. So that doesn't even make sense. You see, and in the same way, we as Christians were not meant to be alone. Over and over throughout Scripture, we have, we have these, these one another commands. Love one another, cherish one another, uphold one another, meet with one another. There's all of these one another commands. You see, we as Christians, we experience the goodness of God when we understand that we are given other people to come alongside us and be about the mission of God. And that can be your bride or that can be your husband, and God shows his goodness through that. But that's also the bride of Christ, the church. That's why we exist. Because we want to partner together and we want to go forward and we want to experience the goodness of God, not as Lone Ranger Christians. In verse 25, the last verse, it says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And then we close out chapter 2. There's a, there's a pastor up in Iowa, his name's Troy, and he, he would say that is his favorite verse in all of Scripture. The, Lord, uh, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You see, what we see here is the man and woman living within the context of God's goodness in the place that he created for them, in the purpose that he gave them, with the people that he brought alongside them, living free of shame. Nothing between them and God, nothing between each other, not a stitch of clothing. And I'm not advocating for that. That would be weird, but... The, the reality is that, that that shows that there was no shame in, this, in the garden, in this context, when they're walking within the goodness of God. There's no shame there. And we have a real problem with shame, I believe, in our society. We have a problem with shame. You see, what is shame? Shame, I, I looked it up in Webster's, and it says it's an intense feeling of guilt, usually accompanied by feelings of distress, exposure, mistrust, powerlessness, and worthlessness. We have, a, we have a problem with shame because we have things oftentimes in our lives where we want to cover up, we want to hide, we, want, we don't want anybody to see who we truly are. And yet the goodness of God continues even for us today that we can be people that when we live in the reality of God's goodness, we can live a life of security knowing that God is good. We see this in, in 1 John 1, 7. It says, but if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, 
And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What is, what is the author saying there? What's John saying there? He's saying, look, when we live in right relationship with God, we can live in right relationship with people. And that happens when we understand that God is good. And he has created us for, to, to dwell within places. And my question for you this morning is, do you see God in that way? Do you see the things that he has given you? Do you see the places that he has given you as good? And maybe you're saying, well, well Luke, I, I don't live in Eden. You don't know where I live. But, but I believe Acts, um, Acts 17 says this, Acts 17, 26 through 27, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. What that says is that you have been, the the place that you are in is given to you by God. The place that you live, this time period, it's not an accident that you are where you are. God created a place for you to dwell in, for you to thrive. Not only that, but he gave you purpose. Do you see God's goodness through the purpose in your life? I mean, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it's the great commission where Jesus says, this is your purpose. Go make disciples. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. What that means is that God has created things for me to do on this earth right now in the place that he has given. He has given me purpose. He's given you purpose. And you may say, well, I don't see the purpose right now. I don't know the purpose in this. I don't know the purpose in my job. Then I would ask you, if you don't see the purpose, then walk purposefully. Do you guys understand what that means? Like, it's the difference between walking in a corn maze and walking in a haunted corn maze. You know what I'm talking about? You walk through a corn maze and it's like, doo uh, this is kind of nice. It's fall. I got a pumpkin, right? And it's like, I will get out of here sometime. You walk through a haunted corn maze, and everything might kill you, right? <laughs> everything around every corner, what was that? Don't mind, what was that? You know, and I believe that when we walk purposefully, we can see that everything might be something that God has created for me to do. When you walk in your job, you can see people differently. When you look at your life through the lens of God's goodness, and lastly, do you see the people around you as a display of God's goodness to you? That can be your wife. That can be your husband. It can be this body of believers. Guys, we want to display God's goodness to the nations, and we want to display God's goodness to Columbia. And I believe that happens when we live lives understanding the place that he has given to us, the purpose that he has given to us, and the people that he has given to us. Because when we walk within that, I believe that we can walk and live lives free of shame, securely knowing that God is good. Amen? Amen. I want to pray for us. God, I thank you so much for your goodness. God, as we look at this, as we look at this passage, as we look at chapter 2, God, I just see so many areas where you are good and your goodness hasn't changed for us, God. You still give us places. You still give us purpose. You still give us people, God. That hasn't changed and you are still the personal God who desires to get his hands dirty with us. So God, I praise you for that and I pray, God, that each and every one of us would see that so that we could display that. We would see our situations through the lens of God's goodness so we can live lives free of shame, secure, 
in the fact that you are a good God. It's in your name. Amen.